All right. Thank you all so much. These guys are awesome. Give them, give them one more hand. Fast. These guys are awesome. All right, Chris, that hurts my feelings. I know I'm not as tall as you, but I'm taller than that, bro. Hurts my feelings, man. All right. So we've been going through Jonah, and I'm super excited about this. I love the book of Jonah. It's like a comedy sometimes, and other times it's just like the coolest story ever. I absolutely love this book, and I'm so glad that I finally get to have my turn to tell one of my own stories, open up with this. So one time... I was out with some family and friends of mine. We went out to Galveston, uh, where Mission G is going. And we were out at like a beach house part of the beach. So it was kind of bougie. It was kind of nice out there. And we, uh, we were out wading in the water. We weren't that deep. And it was me and a few friends of mine. And suddenly I started noticing this excruciating pain on one of my toes a really weird kind of pain I'd never felt before. And so I was like, you know, I was trying to play it cool at first. I was like, you know, I'm going to go back for another reason, not because I'm in pain or anything. But then it started to hurt so bad. I was like, all right, I'm going to go. And I started just trudging through the water. And of course, like whenever you're in knee high water, you cannot move very fast at all. And so I was just trudging like half this speed. And the water force was pushing whatever was hurting my toe further into my toe. So it was just hurting. It was driving me crazy. And I finally got to the shore, and I rubbed some sand on it, and I pulled off a little jellyfish about this big, just a little tiny, just a little tiny, like the size, not even the size of a contact lens, like the size of a teardrop, this little sucker. And it hurt so bad. It was, it was like agony <laughs> running back, and I feel like a baby for saying that, but it really, really hurt. And so I was like sitting on the shore wiping my tears for a little while before I finally decided, you know, everybody's gone out deeper. They've gone out so deep that, like, they've gone to where you can't touch the bottom anymore. And then they kept going, and now they're on a sandbar that's past that point. And I was like, I got to I gotta get back out there. I'm missing all the fun. And so I, I swam out there to them, and I was standing there. And I was kind of, you know, I was moving on. I was doing all right. I was doing a little bit better. And, uh, and then I felt, I felt something. I felt a fish run into my knee, just, just right into the side of my knee. And I was like. That's annoying. I hate when fish do that. I don't like fish touching me when I can't see them. So I, so I was standing there and it just, and I went like this, and then again, and I was like, what kind of fish just goes straight forward regardless of what it runs into? And I looked down and the water was like up here, but it was really clear water, and so I was able to see the type of fish that does that is a jellyfish, and it was not a small jellyfish. It was about the si The head of it was about the size of my hand. Every time I tell the story, I get the feeling maybe it gets a little bigger. But it couldn't have been too far off from about the size of my hand. And, of course, like all the memories of the serious, the agony that I had experienced with this little teardrop jellyfish a second ago were just rushing back to my mind. And, and I'm going to need to take you back to your most recent physics class on this one. If you have a jellyfish and it has tentacles trailing behind it in the water, right? And then it runs into something... And its head stops. Are the tentacles going to stay behind it? No, they're going to kind of they're going to trail up in front. And so I'm I'm looking at it and I'm remembering all this pain. And I'm staring at it and the tentacles are coming close. And I just went, no thanks. And I scream. I just scream. And I was tearing back to shore. I was swimming and nobody else. I didn't tell anyone else that there was a jellyfish. I was like, you can have them. I'm going to get back to shore because this is terrible. And all of this, I, I say all this to say, this fuels my theory that the ocean is a terrible, terrible place. It's terrible. It's got to be like haunted or something. It's messed up. 
And I also say that to set up, as terrified as I am of the sea, the ancient Hebrews were far more terrified of the sea. And it wasn't because they were babies. It was because everything that they knew, all land that they knew, ended, and then there was sea, right? And even seas that were surrounded by land. They didn't have... I don't trip, Chris. Never in my life. They, they were terrified of seas because they don't know what's under that water. And so throughout their kind of, their, their mythology over the years, not just the ancient Hebrews, but most ancient people had this belief that was something like the sea is actually somewhat haunted. Evil spirits and demons reside beneath the water. And whenever there's a storm, they're trying to reach up and pull you under. And if you get pulled under, there's nothing you can do about it. That's it. And so I want you to keep that in mind because that gives us a lot of context, not just in the story of Jonah, but the entire Bible. You remember whenever there's this story where the disciples of Jesus are on a boat and Jesus was like, you guys can go ahead and go out on the boat. And so they're out on the boat and Jesus starts walking on the water and he's just walking past the boat. He's not even walking to the boat. He's just walking past the boat. Like, I hope they don't see me or something. And he's, he's walking past them and they see him. And what do they think he is? They think he's a ghost. And you're like, why would that be your first assumption? This dude, the first thing that he did was turn water into wine. You think he can't walk on the stuff? But it's not, they're not just being stupid. It's because that's, that's their worldview, right? Is that this is what we're dealing with whenever we're on the sea. And so that context can also help whenever we go into Jonah, because where we left off in Jonah, the sea is a huge factor because the sea is really, really angry. The sea is throwing an absolute fit at these sailors because they are transporting Jonah away from where God wants him to go. And so the sailors have just learned that this whole storm is Jonah's fault by casting lots, which is like a really weird little part in the story. They cast lots. It works somehow. And they figure out that it's Jonah's fault, and they start interrogating. You know, where, where do you come from? What God do you worship? Who did you take off that we're in this situation? And so we're going to pick up today in verse 11, chapter 1, verse 11 in Jonah. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on and go up there. And I've also got them up on the screen for us. So starting in verse 11 and 12, it says, So the sailors said to Jonah, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous, which is your word of the day. That's a lovely one. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And they got to be thinking, yeah, we know that too. <laughs> That's obvious now. So this is, I mean, they, they just figured out kind of that this is Jonah's fault. And they're like, you know, what did you do? What did you have to do to cause all this? And we saw in the previous verses, they're crying out to God. These sailors are, and they don't even... They're not even worshipers of this God, and they're crying out to him. Um, and what did you do is probably my least favorite question to get asked, because it could, with me, it could be anything. If someone walks into a room and it's chaos, it could just be, if they ask you, what did you do? I could, it could be anything. It's probably my fault. I've told this story before, so I'll give you the short version, because some of you have heard this. But there was a time in college when I was living in the dorm. Some of you guys, I think, probably already know what story this is, where we, we didn't believe in trash bags. And so we just threw all of our trash directly in the trash can. And whenever it, yeah, and whenever it came time to clean up at the end of the semester, I promise I'm not this gross anymore, we, like, dumped it all into a trash bag. And the trash can was absolutely disgusting. It smelled terrible. There was, like, stuff crusted to the bottom of it. So we were like, 
I was thinking, you know, how are we going to clean this out? And I thought, I know what cleans things, a shower. So I'll put it in the shower, and I'll turn on the shower water, and I'll just let it kind of rinse out. So that's what I did. So I put, put the trash can in the shower. It's about this tall. It's a big trash can. And I just turn on the shower water. I go to cleaning some other stuff. I kind of forget about it. I go back, and, I, and it's pretty much full of water. And I'm like, okay, that should be enough to rinse it out. So I turn off the shower water and underestimated how heavy a trash can full of water would be. And instead of being able to pour it out somewhat slowly, it fell over. And a tidal wave of water covered my restroom and then spilled out to the rest of my dorm room and flooded the entire dorm room with not just water, but that trash water, that gross, terrible trash water. And the guy that lived below me came upstairs because it was leaking through his ceiling. And he came up, and he, and he, he, he came up to the door, and I had the door open, like trying to wave out some of the smell so that I could clean it up. And he walks up to the open door and just walks up to the doorway and goes, what did you do? Because there's no rational explanation for what's going on. And so this is where we're at with Jonah. These sailors are desperate. They are so desperate. And Jonah gives them one solution. He says, just throw me into the sea. That's the only thing that's going to calm down this storm. So think about how much Jonah hates the sea based on what we just talked about. And he would rather be hurled into the sea, not just than take down these sailors with him, but why is he in this situation to begin with? Think about how much Jonah hates the sea. Think about how much Jonah must hate Nineveh. This is all an effort to avoid going to Nineveh and warn them that they're about to be destroyed. Not that they don't know Jesus as their Savior, but that they're about to be destroyed. And he would rather be hurled into the sea at this point than try anything else to resolve this situation. Let's look at verse 13 and 14. Nevertheless, he just told him to hurl him into the sea. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, has done as it pleased you. Now, I kind of wrote it this way because this part in the Bible has the name of God written down. It's not just Lord. These sailors are crying out to God by name. Jonah's just introduced them to him, and they're crying out to him by name. And I think that's really significant because these guys have no reason to even respect this God other than Jonah said this storm came from him. So even though Jonah just told these sailors, Jonah's been right about pretty much everything since he started actually doing anything in this story. And even though he just told them, just throw me into the sea, it'll all be over, these guys don't want to do that. It's totally his fault. If I'm on this boat, and I'm one of these sailors, and there's this storm, and I think the ocean is haunted, I think the sea is haunted, and this dude says, it's my fault, if you throw me overboard, it'll all stop. I am going to punt the dude. There is no chance he's on this boat for another three seconds. No chance. But these guys are rowing back to shore. These, care, these guys care more about Jonah than he cares about the entire city in Nineveh. It's their lives on the line. And they're trying everything they can before they cast this guy into the sea. And that just stinks if you're Jonah, doesn't it? 
I sure am glad that I'm not Jonah. I sure am glad that I care so much about other people that I am never so selfish that I just walk right by them when they need help. I am so glad that I never spend my free time just thinking about what I want to do or thinking about how sad I am and how mopey I want to be as opposed to going out and serving the other people that God's called me to serve. I'm so glad that I'm not as easily distracted as Jonah or as foolish as Jonah that I can trick myself into thinking that I know best whenever God tells me where he needs me to go. we got a city right around us, and it's much bigger than Nineveh ever was. It's got more people in it than Nineveh had. There's a lot of people in the city that are hurting. And what have I done about it this week? These guys have no reason to care about Jonah. They have a reason to not care about Jonah. They have a reason to gladly grant his request to be hurled off the ship. It's his fault they're in this situation. And they show more care about him than he does about the entire city of Nineveh. And it just gets worse for Jonah. In verse 14, they called out to the Lord. Lord, don't let us perish for this man's life and not lay on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, has done, have done as it pleased you. Not only are these guys what not only are these guys doing what Jonah should be doing by crying out to God and by caring about him more than themselves at this point, to a point, Jonah's the only dude on this boat not crying out to God. You notice that? Does that strike you as a bit strange? There's this recurring theme in the entire book of Jonah. Anyone that cries out to God for deliverance throughout the entire book of Jonah is delivered. Every time. These guys cry out for deliverance. They hurl Jonah into the sea. They're delivered. God doesn't let the storm stay for another second. It's calm. The people of Nineveh, as wicked as they are, spoiler alert, eventually are going to cry out to God, and God's going to deliver them. Jonah's got to know this, right? Jonah's the prophet. He's the expert. He's the God expert. He's the only dude on this boat that's not crying out to God. Jonah will not cry out to God to literally save his own life. It's not even selfish. It's just pouty. He's just so angry about this calling that he has. Now, I brought a, I brought a guest with me today. Anytime I preach, I like, to invite, I like to invite Landry here with me. We've been dating for a while now. And she's really, she's really cool. She's all right. But she has, she has this problem. She has this problem. And I can use this as an example because it doesn't require any of my own humility. She has this problem. She's like four foot eleven on a good day. And the way I have my apartment set up is for a 5'10 dude. And so my dishes and my kitchen cabinets are set at a 5'10 level of access. And she is a 4'11 girl. And... Uh, She's getting better. She's getting better. I've been working with her. She's getting better. But it used to be that if she needed a bowl that was way up there, and I was standing right there, she would not say, hey, can you grab me that bowl? It would be done. She would say, hey, can you grab me that bowl? I wouldn't even ask any questions. I'd just hand her the bowl. It's a bowl. What's the worst that's going to happen? 
Now she like gets a chair and she pushes the chair up to the kitchen counter and then she climbs up on the chair and then she climbs up on the counter and then she opens up the cabinet and then she reaches blindly until she finds what she's looking for. And she's getting better. I hate to compare you to Jonah, honey. But Jonah's acting like he's got something to prove out here. He, I, I, some people say that Jonah's being really self-sacrificing whenever he says, just throw me into the sea. I don't see it. I see the entire story of Jonah as Jonah trying to figure out what is like the best option for me. What is the easiest way that I can do this that requires me not doing anything that I want to do least? So I don't believe that he wants to be hurled into the sea, but I believe that he doesn't want to go to Nineveh even more. And so he would rather die, he would rather be hurled into the sea than cry out to God and is the only dude that feels that way. And it all spearheads, verse 15 and 16. We are tearing through this right now. I got seven verses. We've been going like two verses at a time. I got seven verses. I was like, how am I going to get through seven verses in an hour and a half? But we're tearing through. I'm going to have a whole hour after this to just take questions or something. I'll be done in a few minutes. Don't worry about it. Verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. It's just, it's a serious contrast. Whoever's writing this is really trying to make Jonah feel bad. This is a serious contrast between these sailors and Jonah. So in case you were wondering why I brought this chair up here, it wasn't just to make fun of my girlfriend. It was also because if you remember earlier in Jonah, God says to Jonah, he calls him, he says, get up. Go to Nineveh, that great city. And what does Jonah do? Come on, guys, I'm standing on a chair. Help me out here. He doesn't. The Bible says he goes down to Joppa to find a boat to not do that. And then he pays the fare, and he goes down into the boat. And then he gets on the boat, and he goes down into the deepest part of the boat. And the storm comes, and Jonah's hurled into the sea. This is, what the, this is what the story is doing. It's taking Jonah exactly where he wants to go. Why is he fleeing to Joppa? He's trying to escape the presence of God. He's trying to get where God can't reach him. He's trying to get outside the influence of God so that he doesn't have to do what he's supposed to do. And it says he went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He went down into the belly of the ship. And now he's in the sea for it. Sometimes, when we want to get away from God, sometimes when we want really bad not to do what God wants us to do, sometimes, bad as it sounds, sometimes God just lets, lets us do it. You know what? You want to you run away? You want to go that direction? Fine. You go that direction. You see how far you get. That's happened to me. That's happened to me. There's been times in my life where I've known what God wants me to do. 
It's been obvious what God wants me to do. And I go headlong the other direction. And God's let me do it. God hasn't sheltered me from all the consequences of my own garbage decisions my entire life. Sometimes he's let me make those garbage decisions, and sometimes it's hurt a lot. And thankfully, in my own life, it's led to deliverance. And I want to encourage you guys not to think, if you're, if you're, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, don't think that just because I'm a Christian, God won't let me mess up that much. Right? If I do these things, I can always come back. I, prefer, I, I believe in a forgiving God, God of grace. Yeah, God's not going to run out of grace. You're going to run out of time, though. Live right, you guys. Because when you're running away from God, you're not just hurting your relationship with God, which should be threatening enough. But let's say it's not. You're not just hurting your relationship with God. You're hurting yourself. And remember what I said about this city. You're hurting your city. You're hurting your community. Because these people need us. You guys are about to go into college or go into the workforce or whatever. This world needs us. Needs the love of Christ and needs the call of God to be carried out to its people. And that's if you never leave this city, which I think a lot of you would like to hike back up onto the stage here. That's a bigger jump than I thought it was going to be. God lets the result of Jonah's extreme rebellion occur. And Jonah is thrown into the sea, which spells certain death for Jonah and a death not preferable for an ancient Hebrew. But we know better than that. We've seen the Veggie Tales movie. Check out verse 17. I love this verse, and not just for the one reason you think I do. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Finally, we got to the part with the fish. I love the fish part of Jonah. This is the coolest thing ever. Look at that. Now, there's been some debate. And I've said this a lot because I think it's a fun debate. But people want to know, is it a great fish or is it a whale? Well, I don't know. What I, what I will say is that if you're in ancient Hebrew, you probably don't have a separate word for whale. Because if you see something that looks like a whale, you're probably going to say, that's a big fish. Let's not go over there. Because I don't know how that fish is feeling today. Like, we know whales, they're all friendly for the most part, except for the ones that are literally called killer whales. You learn something every day. Thanks for robbing me of that sermon point, bro. So if there's one thing for you to take away from the sermon today, it doesn't need to be the part where we should care about others or the part where we carve a path to destruction in our own rebellion. It's the part with the whale or the fish. It's that God makes a really big fish, which is just awesome and so creative. Like, I know he created everything, but this is a step up even for him. You know what I mean? Here's the main takeaway of this, whether it's a great fish or a whale. It's weird. This isn't something that normally happens. This is something that God has appointed to happen. God appointed this creature, and we're going to see this more in the book of Jonah, so pay attention. 
but God appointed a big fish to do this. That's its only purpose, is to swallow Jonah, which is just awesome. What happens is that something weird happens, and of course, God gets his way, which we see over and over again in this story. Despite Jonah's constant rebellion and the consequences of of his own actions and sin, God delivers him. God will go to the most creative lengths to deliver those whom he loves. And you might be saying, I don't know how loving a relationship Jonah and God have right now. I'm not necessarily talking about Jonah. Maybe I'm talking about Nineveh. God wants to deliver Nineveh through Jonah, and he'll be darned if he doesn't make that happen. And he will go to the most creative lengths to deliver Jonah so that he can get that, so that he can deliver the people of Nineveh. One might even say that God kind of looks desperate here, right? You got to appoint a whole fish. Why can't you just find some other dude? You know what I mean? I think it's awesome how far God's going here. If someone you love is hurting or in danger, you don't care if it's their fault, you don't care if it's someone else's fault. If you love them, you want to help them, right? If I believe in God and I believe that God loves me, I say this, God loves me. What does that mean? What does that mean? Think about it. What does it mean? Say it in your head. God loves me. What does that mean? Does that mean that you shouldn't sin? Does that mean that you get to go to heaven when you die? Or does that mean that God will do whatever he's got to do to have that relationship with you? Does that mean that God will desperately fight for the people that he loves? Can you imagine how much a father loves his son? Can you imagine watching your son crucified? How desperate does God look throughout the whole Bible? Jonah is this weird prophet. He's weird for a lot of reasons. His story is different than a lot of the other prophet's stories. His prophecy is like the worst prophecy ever, you'll see. It's like one sentence. It's terrible. He's crazy different from all the other prophets, but even all the other prophets teach us this same lesson. All these other prophets are going to Israel and saying, you're breaking God's heart. They're going to Israel. They're going to Judah. They're saying, look, God God wants you as his people. Knock it off. Or this is what's going to happen. Or this is what's happening. Here's why. It's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because God's abandoned you. It's because you're breaking his heart. So think about this idea. We think about this all the time. God loves us. Think about that. Whenever you're rebelling against God, what is that doing to God? If he really does love you, you know, he's perfect. He's God. We don't understand exactly what it means for God to love us. We can't comprehend that. Okay. But think about it. Put yourself through the thought exercise. Does it ever occur to you that whenever you're rebelling against God, or whenever, even not rebelling, even whenever you're just in this thing like one foot in, you go to church on Sunday, you go to Wednesday, you believe it, you like it. I'll keep going to church when I go to college. I'll keep doing these things. 
Guys, if God loves you, is that does that suffice? Is that what God is looking for? If he loves you, is that what God wants? Or does he want to fight for you? When you're hurting, when you're broken, when you're lost, when you are, when you are facing the consequences of your own rebellion and sin. Maybe, just maybe, it's worth going to God and saying, look, maybe this is my fault, but I'm hurting right now and I need someone to fight for me. I need someone to get me through this. Never in the Bible is it portrayed that we have a God that does not deliver. Never in the book of Jonah and nowhere in the Bible do we have portrayed a God that doesn't deliver, even in the face of people's own rebellion, when they go to him and beg for that love, ask for that love, ask for that grace that he so freely gives. So this is like the coolest verse ever because you get a twofer. You get a whale and you also get that whole message. It's a real whale of a time. I have that in my notes. I don't want to say it louder than I just did. And now Jonah is going to spend three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. And if you've ever spent the night at someone's house and they like didn't have enough pillows... then you can perhaps begin to imagine how miserable Jonah's about to be for three days and three nights. And you know what makes it worse is that you're going to have to wait like two weeks before you figure out what's going to happen. You're going to have to wait like two weeks before you find out what Jonah, how Jonah feels about being trapped in the belly of this big fish. I have some questions on your tables. I always admit, so that you don't think that I'm really stupid, that my questions, I'm not a fan. So... Try to come up, I mean, I've been trying to get you guys to think. I've been trying to get you guys to process some of this stuff. I hope that you have your own questions too. So let's ask them. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll have some discussion, and we'll uh, roll out of here unless you're here for the impact meeting after, which you need to be here for. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for running after me. Thank you for never letting me slip away. Thank you for pulling me back. Thank you for letting no direction be so against you that it's outside your reach. God, I pray that you'll show these kids the same deliverance and the same grace that you've shown me in my life, and you'll make it evident to them. God, I pray they never rebel like I did. I hope they don't rebel like Jonah did, but God, I pray that however they rebel, you bring them right back. So that we can be your hands and feet to this broken world. Be with us in discussion, God. Pour out your wisdom on our leaders. And guide us through this entire week. Thank you, Lord. Love you. In Jesus' name, amen.